Hello and welcome to The Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of The Logistics Tribe, and my guest today is Jonah McIntyre. Jonah is the founder of TNX Logistics, an AI-based road transportation procurement tool that he just sold to Transborion. I've known Jonah for many years, and I've always appreciated him as a very thoughtful observer of anything related to technology in logistics and supply chain management. Super smart and opinionated about a lot of things. You could call him a contrarian because he likes to challenge a lot of the conventional wisdom on logistics tech in particular, which is exactly why I invited him onto the logistics tribe. We went into this conversation without any kind of plan and just let the discussion go where it needed to go. And in retrospect, that was exactly the right thing to do. What you will hear is a wide-ranging discussion on logistics startups, on logistics automation, on digital freight forwarding, on artificial intelligence and logistics, and much more. If you appreciate thought-provoking perspectives on any of those topics, this is the episode for you. Enjoy. Hello, Jonah. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program, man. Thanks for inviting me. Really appreciate it, Boris. There's so much new with you. I've seen the news. Uh, you just sold your company and you have a kid. There's some private news, some personal news, some, some business news. What's going on with you, man? What's, uh, what's the latest? Uh, it's, it's all that stuff. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's family for the first time. It's uh, business sold, new adventure get to try to do things that we were doing before at small scale, at a larger scale. So it's all great. Fantastic. Fantastic. You'll always remember this year then, for sure. The, this yeah. year and the last year, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we all will do, but you're probably in a, in a more <laughs> profound way than us. <laughs> Perhaps I'll celebrate it more. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Jonah, take us back. You, you founded TNX Logistics a few years back. That's the company we ref just referred to that you sold to Transborion. Take us back to the time. Like, when did you um, start the company? What was the idea? How did it evolve? And how did you um, decide to um, have it acquired by Transborion? Take us back to that time. Sure. So 2016, uh, me and uh, uh, two other people, one of whom I had started my previous company with, uh, decided mm -hmm. that we wanted to build a platform which would ensure sort of optimal matching between uh, capa trucking capacity and uh, buyers of uh, trucking capacity. And so mm -hmm. this was not meant to be Uber for trucks. It was it was meant to be more like a utility, like a stock exchange type of, of play. It was something that was uh, we hoped would achieve very fair and stable matches where people felt like, okay, this is providing valuable service. It's... Uh, optimizing for community benefit and everybody comes away with just a better result than they could have had before. We, we were really looking at stock exchanges and the kind of transparency and um, liquidity that that created uh, for, for markets and financial markets and commodity markets. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Re reality was within a year, so nine months to a year, we had really nixed that idea. And, and <laughs> the uh, first pivot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think this is kind of lesson one for anybody who's going. Oh, you know, startups are about vision. Well, they're, they're really startups are about op opportunism. They're uh, you you attempt to exploit opportunity A to the extent that you can. You do if you can't, you identify opportunity B, and you you know you continue, and you try to yeah. build the plane before you fall to the ground. You know, or, or create <laughs> yeah. the parachute before you hit the the earth. So what we identified was uh, the error in that approach was that there was no path pathway to achieve scale. So the, uh, I would classify us kind of into this naive group that said, 
Uh, if you had all the transactions of the market, you could make them more efficient. Was it yes? But until you get there, you have to have a pathway that goes from zero to one customer. And what what does the first customer get out of a marketplace when they don't get anything? Um, mm. So uh, we eventually re-equipped. Essentially, we took our our skill set and what we knew about the the industry, uh, and we re-equipped towards we're going to give extreme pricing and buying advantage to one side of the market, in this case, transport buyers, uh, by uh, designing a, a, a procurement, you know, procurement aid, procurement uh, support that would help them get trucking capacity. It wasn't gonna, it wasn't community benefit anymore. It was single-sided benefit helping the buyer. And uh, that actually worked. So that was 2000, you know, we really began that, that kind of beginning of 2017. Early 2018, we expanded into Europe. Early 2019, into the U.S. 2020, into uh, Russia and Colombia and South America. And uh, early 2021, now we uh, we were acquired by Transporium. Yeah, and you, you started off in New Zealand, of all places, right? I recall. Yeah. What was the rationale for that? Yeah, well, you've got the whiteboard rationale. Again, This I think a lot of startup life is this sort of things that look good on whiteboards compared to reality. The, the, <laughs> the whiteboard rationale was... We're a small group. We don't really have any investment in the beginning. You know, we're bootstrapping, and there's these there's these uh, startups out there that like Cargomatic that are saying they're going to do uh, you know this sort of work also, and they're and they're a couple of years ahead of us, and they're well funded. You know, I think when we started, they already had uh, something like four million in investment. We had you know zero million, and uh, <laughs> and it sounded like yeah. You, so we're going to go to this out of the way market. No one's watching us. We can, you know, we can essentially be stealth without being stealth. Now, mm -hmm. the reality is two things. One, those guys, like they, they folded. I mean, they, a lot of the people we were worried about, they just don't exist anymore. And then the, hmm. so they were never really as much of a threat as we thought they were. And then the second mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, New Zealand uh, is not indicative of the rest of the world. So it was not, it from that perspective, it was kind of a, 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 a poor strategy. What we did do down there, though, is we faced some of the most tech-resistant, uh, you know, end users that you can you can find anywhere. Huh. And so, uh, really? it, it, the, what it did instill in us is this absolute uh, perfectionism when it comes to minimizing uh, UX friction for the end users. So the end users, in at that time, we were kind of eventually said, okay, look, we're going to make this Fisher Price meets logistics it's going to be colorful it's going to be easy to use dead simple enjoyable experience for the end user because they they any friction at all and they'll they'll walk away wow so you went through the school of hard knocks down in new yeah. zealand yeah like if you can make it in new zealand you can make it anywhere when it comes to ux i guess yeah <laughs> at least with ux there are uh, uh -huh. the, the 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 challenge from a business perspective is uh, they're just tiny i mean they're they're I like I love New Zealand. Don't get me wrong. Like I have, I have yeah. you know good experience there. We still have customers there, but uh, they're uh, four million people. You know, their their mm -hmm. their market is smaller than most of the major urban like it, it, Berlin. Right, the Berlin trucking market is probably larger than the national New Zealand market, and so mm -hmm. that 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 is the challenge of. There's just not enough business to make. Uh, if you win, it doesn't matter, and if you lose, you you know you lose and you go out of business. So it was really a tough, uh, I think, start. In retrospect, we should have 
stayed in major markets like EU and US uh, focused. But mm-hmm. uh, but we did. I think we came out scrappy, strong. You know, like you said, if we can succeed with those users, then we can succeed for sure with uh, US and European users. Yeah, and it looks like you make quite a bit of headway and fast exp- expansion when you talk about all these countries that you expanded since we last talked, like, which was probably yeah. like two years ago or something. And yeah, good uh, good run there, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 we're pretty. I was pretty proud of being able to expand to these you know, m- most most supply chain software companies or any company for that matter sort of dies on the shore of the next market. They they succeed in sure. one market and then try to expand and then die kind of on the beach and uh, uh, it's hard, you know, it's you to go to a meeting and they say, great. So who else do you work with? You say, no one, no one in your country, no one that matters to you. And okay. So you're, it's not tested. There's no social proof, uh, where are your staff? Well, they're all overseas too. Okay. Yeah. It's a hard sell. Um, I was happy to yeah. be able to do it. And then, and then add to that the, the the sort of significant differences between the trucking market in Europe versus U.S. For example, does it play a role in that business yeah. model or not? Yeah, night and day. Uh, there's a there's <laughs> yeah. more there, there's more difference than there is similarity. Truly. Yeah, talk to me about some of those. What are, what are the most obvious ones that are stood in your way? Oh, uh, uh, the stuff that well, the stuff that stood in our way, uh, which is maybe different than the larger constellation of different of uh, how they how they aren't the same. But the stuff that was particularly important to us was the composition of the market in Europe. If you talk about road transportation procurement, you have shippers procuring from forwarders, but sorry, Mm -hmm. shippers procuring from logistics providers, most of whom um, are very proud of their asset holding. So think of um, a Wabers, a Gerteca type type, uh, major company, Stevie Shanker. And if they do anything in terms of subcontracting onwards, they call it forwarding, and it's a, a minority of their business. And no one, mm-hmm. no one is very, very few companies in Europe are you know, straight ahead uh, branded forwarder because there's sort of a negative connotation, like it's a, a non-value adding middleman. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in uh, oh, and it's obviously as in all other industries, Europe isn't Europe. It's a constellation of like. 35 economic regions, yeah, sure. yeah. different laws, different language, all that. Uh, now, U.S., uh, the composition of the market is a very large, very healthy uh, segment called brokers. In Europe, you would call them sh- uh, forwarders. Uh, uh, U.S., it's, it's brokers. And they've got an established like digital ecosystem through load boards and through uh, uh, visibility tracking and whatnot, where everyone knows the spot price, for example, within a certain range. Uh, because it's just it's just kind of publicly accessible data um, mm-hmm. through these uh, through these tools, and there's there's a yeah it's just a more uh, competitive, mature, larger uh, market for uh, road transport procurement. And then along comes Transborion. So t- talk to <laughs> me about how that came about, and uh, how do you fit in now into that organization, which has been around for quite a number of years, right? I mean, I've I've uh, been exploring for what. Yeah, About twenty years. Yeah? yeah, yeah, they've been around. Yeah, so so I think uh, Transporian's kind of key uh, fit with us is this. Uh, I, I think there's a um, this quotation about startups are trying to achieve distribution before incumbents are tr- uh, can achieve innovation. And if you look at the way that we were positioned against Transporian, Transporian, uh, if we were to sell against them, which which was kind of starting to happen already. And, and if it wasn't happening, it would have happened in the next six months for sure. Um, mm-hmm. 
is Transporting would enter the room and say, you know, we have 70,000 carriers in our network. It's a it's an established dominant platform for communication around uh, logistics topics. And mm-hmm. uh, we would enter the room and we would say, we have, you know, you have to bring your carriers to us. Like we don't have an established network and you're going to have to bring your carriers to us. You're going to have to, you know, f- force it. So you as the buyer are going to have to say, no, this is the only way you can get my my shipments. And yet our product is going to drive so much value for you that you'll thank us later for, for doing it. And mm-hmm. uh, so what is interesting is putting, uh, obviously, is to overlap those where you go, all right, largest logistic network in Europe probably touches one in 10 uh, road transport moves in some way or another. And so what let's, in other words, distribution. Distribution is there and a product that can unlock a ton of value for the, um, for the road transport buyer. That's pretty cool. And there's just, there's just simply more value to be created uh, by making that pie larger together than there was if we were to compete. Awesome. And so you're, you're still on, right? So you're now an employee of, um, of Transporian, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. So I continue yeah. to lead this, uh, you know, this business unit around uh, autonomous procurement. So the TNX logistics uh, product is, is sort of just uh, coming in as a line of business for them. Uh, it's got its own organic, you know, standalone uh, targets, and it's got uh, these synergistic targets as well of, okay, let's bring value to the existing Transporian uh, network and, and start converting some of them over to a more autonomous style of procurement. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's also this this sort of what do we build next kind of product management uh, aspect, which is great, given what we know, given what they know, uh, what's a, a new pr- line of products that we can bring to the market that, you know, that no one's seen before. Exciting times. Exciting times. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Jonah, talk to me about all the stuff that you've recently seen in the log tech space in Europe. Let's start with road transportation. Let, let's talk about companies like Sender, for example, that have massive amount of funding, unicorn starters, you yeah. know, first German logistics startup that made it to that status in, in a quite a quite a short amount of time. What's uh, what's going on? What are you what are you observing right now in the European truck transportation market? Yeah, I think that. Uh, Sender, Sender's an interesting company. I mean, I've written some blog posts, uh, some public, some are sort of private distribution through Substack. Uh, but I've written some blog posts on them. So w- one thing we have to really give credit to them is they they are uh, consummate deal makers. They've grown through a combination of uh, taking funding, of making good deals with shippers to to you know grow the volume base, and through acquisitions. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. All those things, and, and and obviously the most uh, the sort of the crown jewel of the acquisitions from a marketing perspective was Uber Freight. Uber Freight, right? Yeah, first ever road, right? The French French competitor, and then Uber Freight shortly after. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, made some smart, yeah, smart purchases there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and and so that's that's really I believe their their strongest uh, capability as an organization. Uh, mm-hmm. I I probably am, uh, you know, I'm a little. <laughs> I'm a little uh, uh, contrarian on the, the the marketing message, which is the marketing message is the same for them as it is for Convoy and Uber Freight. And essentially, it's we're building a more efficient allocation of uh, you know a freight to, to trucks. We're improving the whole you know whole market in Europe that has a lot of green spin to it. It's like reducing carbon emissions. In the U.S., mm-hmm. it's it, it, they're laggards in that regard. They 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 don't mention that. 
But uh, uh, the marketing message, I think there is a bit of tech washing, if I'm honest. I think a more... <laughs> I think a more genuine interpretation of this is that they, uh, all three of those companies, are simply building large-scale forwarding or brokerage uh, businesses in the kind of traditional way that those businesses have been built in the past. You know, you you win customer, you win shippers usually by discounting compared to the competition. Sometimes by acquiring wholesale, you know, an existing business, then you operate it and try to achieve some efficiencies and then and then move on. Um, but it is true that if you're starting something from scratch today, you can build it on more modern tech than you were in the past. And you are digitalizing the space quicker than an incumbent. Going back to what you said earlier, that the old established um, dinosaurs, so to speak, they, they have a lot of inefficiency. They have a lot of non-tech stuff going on. Is that true or is that just also a myth? Yeah, I think... I. I think it's also. I think that's also sort of marketing message. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great story. Like this is one of these things. That, like the whiteboard looks beautiful uh, on this theme. You know, dinosaurs. They're doing. Th they're. You. It's true. If you walk into a forwarding office, uh, most of the time, you could have. You could have time jumped from the 1990s to now and not really notice a difference. It's still folks with Excel, a lot of paper. Uh, you know the the computers are are slick are slicker now. They're not the big you know big big thick screens that they were previously, but uh, not much is digitized. Now that said, uh, I think there's a couple things that are sort of we should we should be contrarian on on this message for it. So the first one is, I think it's probably more more fair to say that uh, if you have such an efficient if you have efficiency of tech it probably benefits the larger people versus the smaller people. So it's a tech startup that can sort of magically match capacity and demand. They can only do it with a very small amount of volume because they are a small company. So if there is any use of that technology, I would say that a company like Sender is doing the following. They're using their cash to buy market share. Once they get big, like a DB Shanker, then they can use the matching technology to run more efficiently. But they're still in that first stage right now, which is they're really inefficient. Like they run at an operating hmm. loss while they're buying the market share. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so you're saying that the prerequisite for their model to work is is a large enough cloud. So meaning yeah. enough data, enough enough transaction over the platform to really see the benefits of the of the automation. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Exactly. Like. Mm -hmm. If the, if the technology works at all, which which I think is another question, but like if the tech if there is matching technology that works the way that those companies market it, it's the it's a big boy technology. It's not a scrappy startup technology. It's a once you get to massive massive scale, this will be the differentiator. So it's 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 what I think would separate like the top ten. It would what it would possibly would make one of the top 10 better than the other nine. Not mm -hmm, what's going to make mm -hmm. the 500th largest startup, you know, kind of startup entrance. It's not going to make them grow really fast, I don't think. And, 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 and actually, I think the financials play that out. Like, if they had the magic technology that they described that they have, uh, not just Sender, but all these companies, uh, mm -hmm, uh, OnTruck, mm -hmm. Ontruck uh, uh, Convoy, Uber Freight, if they had it, then where is it in the economic model? Because they're underperforming their peers. So they lose money on transactions 
uh, a tech a magic technology should either help you win new business run the business you have more efficiently or protect you from competitors and it's not doing any of that stuff how do you know i mean how do you, you don't well, know the, the, the internal numbers or do you well, well it's, it's actually it's interesting because uh of these companies you know if you take uber freight sender convoy they keep going to market to raise capital and every time they do they bleed out you know financial information um in the case of uber they were bleeding it out and then they went public and then it's just really the kind of the the the, the gates are open you know every quarter you can check uh and uh i've got uh I'll send you a link to this uh um but i've i've done some background math on this and here's mm -hmm. what i see so <laughs> in a period of time of about two years uber freight and convoy who i have the most you know you can get the most data on so most public publicly available sources for every euro or dollar that they pay a carrier, they uh, must have charged shippers about 76 cents, something like that. So there's about 24 cents that was funded by investors. So either they didn't charge enough shipper to the shipper or they pay overpaid to the carrier or a mix of the two. Um, mm -hmm. And that's an enduring, you know, uh, it's not like that was like a one-time investment where they bought a bunch of machinery or something. That's an enduring operating um, operating loss. So it's not like a amortization is going to get rid of that. It's, no, it's like this is actually the rate difference between the buy and the sell rate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that seems to, that seems to match your your theory that this is sort of the draw period. You're gonna have to invest before you really see the the benefits of technology kick in after you reach a certain threshold, right? So you'll yeah. you'll have to you to pay up before you reach that level of where it really delivers the goods, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It's a bit like a ram ramjets or something where it's like they don't work until you get to a certain speed, and it's 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 basically like if this technology exists at all. What we can for sure say about it right now is it doesn't it doesn't work at the scales that these companies are operating. Maybe it'll work when they get larger. Uh, that's a question, but uh, mm -hmm. but it certainly hasn't worked yet. If these companies didn't have another way to say it is, I think that these companies are primarily a way to redistribute venture capital into the industry. That they if they didn't have venture capital, they would uh, atrophy. I, I love having you on the program because I knew this was going to be controversial. I like you being contrarian and you warned me up front. So this is this is all good. We appreciate that. So anybody who listens in now who who, who disagrees, you know, feel, feel free to hit us up and uh, we'll pick it up again. This is great. Yeah, this is, um, I, I know I was dealing with somebody who doesn't, who doesn't speak like everybody else does. So I really much appreciate that. Let's move on to something else. Maybe let's move on to, to Flexport. Um, yeah. diff different part, <laughs> different, different, different part of the world, but you know, sort of similar analogies. What, uh, what do you see in them? What's, um, yeah. what contributes to their sort of massive success in raising capital and where are they? What, what's your, what's your viewpoint? Yeah, I, I, I think they're the, I think honestly, I think they're of the same theme, less losses mm -hmm. in, in the case of Flexport. So they're, they're not, they're not having to bleed as as much to to get the scale. Uh, I, so I think Flexport is a similar play, but like if you frame it from the point of view of um, let's look at it from two point of views. Let's look at it from the point of view of the investors. The investors go uh, the pitch. To the investors is always the same. It's this is a huge part of the economy. You know, if you look at trucking, it's like three uh, percent of GDP. It's like it's a huge part of the economy. It's poorly run. 
Um, it's highly fractional. So the, the largest uh, mm-hmm. in trucking case, like the largest single provider touches about 2% of market share. <laughs> uh, so, so the message is like, even if I, you know, as my startup, even if we only got to 1% of market share, that's an enormous amount of revenue. And we are sure that we can run more efficiently than the existing people because they use pen and paper and Excel. That, that's essentially the message. And yep, uh, yep. from an investor point of view, that actually could be solid. There's, it's. I think that Flexport is on track to to becoming a very large XPO, you know, uh, t- uh, like XPO type uh, freight forwarder. They're they're a, they're going to be a, a freight forwarder that sort of does freight forwarding, uh, makes a significant amount of revenue, pretty small margin. Uh, but it's solid, you know, it's a margin, like it's a solid business. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting about the messaging, though, for around Flexport is is about the valuation multiples. So if you're if you're put in as a freight forwarder, so if you're like an agility, a geodis, uh, you know, a DHL, those kind of freight forwarders, the multiple you're going to get is so low. I mean, maybe two times uh, revenue, you know, depending mm-hmm. on your profitability. Uh, if you're positioned as a technology provider, you're hoping to get, uh, it, you know, at very large scales, you're hoping to get like eight to 12 times revenue. Okay, so from a Flexport perspective and Uber Freight and Convoy and all these folks, even if you move the needle a little bit, even if you only convince one in 10 people to value you closer to a software company, uh, mm-hmm. that's a huge variation in in valuation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's really from their perspective like that's really the play is paint the walls as with as many coats of paint of te- you know technology speak as you can because it it boosts the value of the business. Uh whether or not I I don't think that they'll ever I don't think they'll ever return the the kind of EBITDA that you expect from a a software business but uh, that that's sort of the investor's problem. That's especially the late stage investor's problem, not even the early stage investor problem. Yeah. What other interesting um, new technology startups do you see out there that are super super interesting that deserve our attention? Anything that strikes you as very super exciting, super sexy? Yeah, I think that we all should be talking a lot more about autonomous vehicles than we do. I'm I'm sort of mm-hmm. pessimist on on um, drones anytime in the near future. They got cool edge use cases like there's. There's drones flying, you know, probably as we speak, uh, out over Reykjavik in uh, Iceland to to make deliveries uh, to uh, to homes that are kind of on the other side of the the bay, and yeah. have been doing that for uh, I think over 18 months, and that that's cool. Like, they're, they're, it's real stuff in China. Uh, they've got uh, drone deliveries out, kind of been uh, testing in in rural places. But when you test anything in China, the scale just sounds like national distribution in Europe. You know, it's it's huge. Uh, but, uh, I think the physics of it are like, you know, drones aren't going to lift a 25 ton, um, container, you know, there's just not going to happen. So I think autonomous, autonomous vehicles, autonomous trucks is truly game changing, you know, industry changing stuff. We just don't talk about it very much. Uh, so I think that, that, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think this, there, there's a new found, at least here in Germany, there's a new found enthusiasm about it because the government just passed some legislation that allows it, makes it makes it, um, makes it legal. And, and for the first time, you know, autonomous vehicles has passed some major legislation. Mm-hmm. 
And I just recently, in just just a previous episode, I talked to Eric Wirsing, who runs yeah. um, in Global yeah, Innovations at 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 DB Schenker, and he was talking about that. He like they 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 use that new development on the regulatory front to really look back and, and reevaluate their strategy and really changing stuff there because they see it coming faster than they originally thought. Yeah. 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 yeah that would be uh, like if I if I had to kind of place my my money someplace i would be and i was looking for someplace i would i would be looking around autonomous vehicles it's not sure where i I think it's so early it's not even sure where you would go like is that going to be vehicle manufacturers who then operate fleets is it going to be uh you know people like db shanker who collaborate with manufacturers and then lease or buy fleets and operate them yeah, that's what what Eric was pointing to, right? That's yeah. uh, that's kind of how how they see the role that there's just got to be some intermediary who knows the processes and knows how to run the stuff and yeah. sort of go in between. They they see major role there for a logistics provider like DB Schenker to play a role there for sure. Yeah, I so I, I think that's really interesting stuff. I think uh, some of the the sensor Internet of Things kind of world is starting to get interesting. I I mean I think this is one of those like costs are plummeting we can seriously now envision a world that uh physical supply chains move through a a highly uh connected fully censored you know life cycle but Mm -hmm. of course we're nowhere near using that data it's like yeah okay the data is somewhere but what do we do with it but i think there are there are interesting um so there's an interesting future in that. Yeah, just just going back to autonomous vehicles. I mean, are you spending any time? Are you paying attention to what's happening in the warehouse? I know mean, that's not your forte. That's not your traditional strong suit. But yeah. there's a lot of stuff happening in warehouses with autonomous and, and collaborative robots, right? Are you interested in that stuff? Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I'm actually the thing I'm the most interested in uh, in it, like inside DC automation is mm-hmm. um, is physical material handling manipulation because there's um. There's a thing called the Moravec's paradox uh, where it's easier. So it's lower cost to get a human being to do something like pick up a penny off the ground than it is to get a robot. Robots manipulating their physical environment tend to be very expensive and you have to specialize design. What's the, you know, what's the role that they need to do? If you want a general purpose robot with a decent amount of like spatial recognition and uh, ability to follow commands that are, you know, given to it ad hoc. That's a human, right? Like, that's a, <laughs> yeah. and they're cheap, they're plentiful, and they like to manufacture themselves. Like, though, that's what humans are, right? So, the thing that I find interesting about warehousing is that, uh, particularly e-commerce warehouses, is that the material handling is really complex. You have a bunch of, you have everything from like jewelry packets, where it's this tiny little thin, fragile, you know plastic bag all the way up to like uh, pallets of materials and yeah. and designing warehouses that can continuously adapt to new material handling uh, requirements sort of forces this solve of this this more of X paradox of getting a lot of uh, physical manipulation flexible physical manipulation out of a robot uh, to the extent that we do that I think like as that's happening I think that's the signal for robots taking over a really large portion of current jobs in in the physical supply chain 
Yeah, but that's still pretty far out, I would yeah. say, right? Because yeah. right now it's so efficient for someone you just to grab in a box and pick out whatever's in there. Yeah. The robot would be totally dumbfounded, right? Staying yeah. there and not knowing what to do and like fumbling and there's yeah. just, there's there's ways there's there's areas where robots are so far advanced yeah. in terms of what humans can do, and other parts where we're just hopelessly behind. It feels like, right? Yeah. And the logistics space is like this sort of um, hodgepodge and mix of these different phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's exactly as you said. Like, there's some things that it's essentially the paradox is is like the things that appear easy to us are hard for software and robots and the reverse. So you can make software that can do advanced algebra, you know, that one in a hundred, uh, maybe one in a thousand people can do. And that's dead simple for software because it's computation and it's sort of, it's natural, blah, blah, blah. But if you had something that was like, where you, you wanted a robot that could walk across a crowded room and pick up a penny and then tell and then like tell you if it's head or tails, that's a, multi-million dollar robot if it exists at all oh so so that's actually a perfect perfect um, argument for the sort of humans and ai and robots um not trying to replace each other but working in, in unison right working together collaboratively right because there's so many skills that humans are just better at doing other skills that robots and ai are better at doing why not join them together right there's always this talk about well let's create this sort of general purpose ai that's just like a human that's better than a human right just to replace everything a human can do like for what purpose because you could build ai that when you combine the two the ai or the the knowledge and the skills of a human and the knowledge and the skills and ai of a of an ai then magic happens right would you agree right 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 yeah it, i had yes i agree and but uh, I have to say the last uh, five years with TNX Logistics is maybe a bit contrarian on this as well. And so here's my contrarian streak on this. Mm -hmm. It's um, what people want to hear. Uh, this is kind of a populist thing. I just just, just mentioned like what people want to hear is that uh, in that synergistic vision of the future of AI and human beings that the AI will take away their drudge work and uh, allow them to focus on the more creative things of their job, the more creative aspects, and help them elevate their sort of contributions by doing the things which are uniquely human and are not, uh, you know, rote, in other words. Okay. Right. In right. reality, the reality that I've experienced as AI enters the workforce is that oftentimes AI takes over exactly the thing that the people are most satisfied to work on. So, so I'll just talk specifically hmm. to the TNX logistics experience. We, mm -hmm. we're, we're uh, you know, autonomous spot procurement for road transport. So who does spot procurement right now? It's, it tends to be the dispatchers or, or uh, that's the wording in Europe, uh, in US, you'd call them carrier sales reps, but mm -hmm. okay. The dispatchers in Europe, they they see this this job that they do around spot procurement as something where they're uniquely skilled because they've been in the industry for years and they've memorized you know the patterns and the seasonality and they know the carrier and they uh, are, are enjoy negotiate the negotiation aspect of like hey now I did you a favor I need you to you know I need you to do this lower price for me or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. And they get, you know, a bottle of vodka from their favorite Polish carrier at Christmas. And so <laughs> so this is the most enjoyable part. And what we do when we come in is we say, yeah, you're not going to do that anymore. Like, you're not going to have influence on it. You're not going to decide. You thought you were good at this, but you turns out you weren't. You're, you're, you weren't as good at this as, as software is. 
And uh, but you're still you still can do something. But it's like okay, what am I gonna do? What you're gonna do is you're gonna do data entry, because it's cheaper right now to have you work forty hours a week rekeying some data from another system, or you got it in an email or a PDF or something. That's uh that's cheaper. Like we don't have a general purpose AI that'll rekey PDFs yet. Or re- well, we, we have robotic process automation, which is even cheaper and even more ubiquitous, right? Do yeah, do yeah, that? yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's if it's repeated, if it's not a highly yeah, variable yeah. format, right? Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but you know, so basically, it's like we're going to take the uh, so I, I call these sort of like uh, last mile office jobs. It's like they were pushing these workers to the thing that automation hasn't got to yet, right? And mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. keep pushing them kind of further and further towards actually the lowest value task and it because if it was higher value we would automate it but if it's it's low enough value that it makes sense to kind of keep having a human being on it nobody's started a startup yet to do it and uh uh and we sort of keep pushing them out and they hate it and i understand i mean you know it's a hard message to hear for your ego but uh i think that we have to kind of be ready for that reality and not think that everyone's going to become the sort of the master of this little nest of AI that does all the drudge work for them and they get to focus on whatever they like. Yeah, but is it an edge case or like a particular case you're describing or do you see that across? I mean, try to think of, of other examples or try to think of other cases where that's also the case. Yeah. I, is it always the case that when an AI comes on, comes on then the, the the job that was previously done by human, now they're delegated to doing something I mean that's c- completely contrary to what's commonly said about it. Yeah, and, and maybe you're saying, well, that's that's sort of the marketing um, uh, whitewashing and making it sound digestible and making it easy for people to digest. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is 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 pretty different. Or like, where do you come down on this? I mean, are you just black and white, and this is this is always the case, or is this more gray than you're making it appear? Yeah, I th- I think it's more like it's a wedge. So I think that I think that when AI enters a a team or a workforce or a role, it, it naturally creates this wedge. If you're on one side of the divide, you're heading upwards. You, you're going to get the credit of the success of the AI. You're essentially AI's supervisor and, mm-hmm. uh, and your company will see you as more valuable. You're, you're basically, you're, you're the pilot of a very, of a much larger and powerful machine. Then there's mm-hmm. the, uh, actually, pilots. This is just off the cuff, but like this has actually happened in pi- in piloting. You know, it used to be that airplanes had a the minimum of three crew. They had a pilot, a co-pilot, and a flight engineer. The flight engineer job is no longer existing in almost any airplane because it's automated now. So what happened is, is the pilot and the co-pilot boosted their value, right? And the mm-hmm. flight engineer disappears. Uh, lowers their value. There must have been a period of rollout in which there still were planes that needed flight engineers, but there were too many flight engineers relative to the role, so it became less valuable. And and I think that's what happens. I think there's essentially a wedge that comes in, and if you're on the if you're on the low end of that, you lose the part of your job which was the you know the 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 kind of the route to to being a hero in the company, and now you're just a support person for the software. And if you're on the high end of it, you're seen as the supervisor of the software. 
Yeah, but is it also the case that it's the, the introduction of an AI or a new system also creates demand for jobs that know how to handle it and how to work with it in con conjunction and manage these and, and sort of expand on it and make better systems? Yeah, I just inside the organization. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, when you talk about AI entering the workforce, leadership uh, leadership of companies essentially have two questions, and the first one is, and they're both around HR essentially. One is. Where do I get the talent that will help me create and deploy these new technologies? And the second is, what do I do with my existing talent who is have their roles displaced or changed by the technologies? And mm -hmm. I think that it's very few people who are going to go from, from camp two to camp one. So there's very few people who are going to be like, huh, I used to do this job. Now AI is doing part of it. I'm going to become the expert in this AI. I, I just don't see it. it's realistic. I think it does create new jobs, but they're not for the same person. Yeah. Where do you see AI in logistics and supply chain really sort of making people's jobs better, per se? Mm, people's jobs better. Uh, I don't know. I, what is people's jobs? I mean, I'm just, yeah. like, thinking like the, I'm, I'm just thinking back to the warehouses, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I really have to manually schlag something from point A to point B and I have no idea where I'm going and I have to find stuff, Having a collaborative robot that shows me the way, for example, or sort of give, you know, gives me guidance and that sort of stuff, looks from the outside as more enjoyable than than you being by yourself in that warehouse with your the stuff that you have to schlep around, right? Or no? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I mean, it's interesting. I would want to think that it's definitely better for the company. It's better for the warehouse overall. The operations of the warehouse they're more efficient. They're certainly safer. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, AI is preventing people from getting injured. You know, right now as we speak. Uh, I, I remember talking to somebody who uh, was working in, in road transport with a very large fleet, and he was describing uh, every basically every year they replace a third of their vehicles uh, with a kind of newer kit. And over the course of three years, they uh, introduced this kit that would, as the truck was backing up, if the trailer sensed that there was somebody, something behind it that it would run into, it would simply not let the truck back up. It would, it would auto brake the mm -hmm. truck. And um, he was describing the number of serious accidents which were dropping, and you could see it. It was like January when these new fleets went out, there would be a drop, and then it would, it would be essentially stable for the rest of the year. Then the next year it would drop again. So I think in terms of in, enjoyable jobs, I mean, the most enjoyable job is the one you don't get hurt doing. And yeah, it's, or hurting somebody else that could be traumatic too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a that's a pretty clear cut case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, t talk to me about other stuff that you're excited about in the market right now. As you look around, I know you're such a keen observer. You Stuff must uh, show up on your radar as something striking you as odd or noteworthy or interesting or sort of contrarian. Let's go there again. <laughs> <laughs> I think the main thing I, I'm i always uh, on the lookout for, you know, just just generally across, uh, you know, across the, you know, my time is something which will cause the dynamics of our market to change. I think, uh, mm -hmm. uh, right, so I think about these as the difference between the Manhattan Project and, like, better tires. So every year there's, you know, tire technology improves a little bit. You're less likely to have an accident when it's raining. Your tires going to last a little longer. You're going to get a little more grip. You're going to get better fuel efficiency because your tires. But it's evenly distributed. Everybody changes their tires continuously. There's no advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas... The Manhattan Project was one of these things that, when it became you know public knowledge that it had succeeded, the world had exactly one superpower who was capable of using it, and 
it for as long as it lasted, it was, you know, true dominance uh, in that in that domain. I'm looking. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more interested in general in these right now. Anyway, in my in my life, I'm more interested in identifying these emerging Manhattan uh, project uh, uh, type technologies. Oh, you mean that give one company a, a such a dramatic advantage that will last over years? Like, how yeah. is that, do you think that's possible, or is this a mirage? I mean, because I mean, Amazon you know, that, that was such yeah. a step function and required so much expertise and, and and so much dedicated effort to pull off, right? Yes, notoriously and historically. Yes, uh, and and then when it when 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 it hit the market, so to speak, <laughs> market is the wrong word, but when it hit the hit reality, and you know everything was put in place to prevent the technology from spreading, right? Yeah, and wouldn't this be like, like in this situation where you have a technology provider, for example, that that comes up with this step function sort of game changer technology? The goal would be to distribute it as widely as possible, as opposed to keeping it to only one nation, for example, right, or one company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think one of the one of the countervailing forces here is that the way that technology companies generally make money is they uh, they dist- they sell many subscriptions or they they sell many um, transactional license models or whatever. Uh, so very few software companies would have a, an incentive, a financial incentive if they came up with some killer technology to, uh, you know, to, to hoard it themselves. But you could imagine, for example, like a next-gen TMS that's just that much better that it takes over the whole TMS market, you know, the $14 billion US dollar, you know, all transport management market that's possible i find that a little i I don't think it's gonna happen but but it's you know you could imagine it similar thing with like some sort of like you know iot consolidation platform and if there was a someone who had truly you know could truly do it but i don't see anybody doing it i mean this is these the the, you know there aren't there are many manhattan projects in a lifetime and uh uh, I think the closest would be AI projects, right? That we don't know of. Somebody that really de- develops this is super smart, super capable yeah. um, AI that's more capable than others uh, because, you know, the circumstance in which it came about, are you, Jeff? Yeah. There's more data sets and, and less regulation and that gives you that advantage, right? Uh, yeah. I would pr- probably look that space. That That's probably the space where something like that is most likely to occur or not. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. This is actually one of the reasons why autonomous vehicles, I think, is interesting to me because just for the sake of argument, let's say that you let's say that you did come up with an a package that you could retrofit onto you know any truck that allowed you mm-hmm. to control the tr- the truck autonomously, and you got regulatory approval for it. Everyone else has has to have drivers, but you don't need to have drivers, or maybe you need to have somebody in the truck to like for legal reasons, but they don't have to drive. Um, they're just there to like. In case there's an accident, they can get out of the truck and uh, help with loading and unloading, whatever. So that if some that uh, that's a monopolizable, obviously game-changing technical advantage uh, that mm-hmm. that that would be interesting to to see how someone would exploit that. There just aren't very many yeah. of these, though. Yeah, but you're you're on the lookout. You're you're watching out for those. So let yeah. uh, let us know as soon as you <laughs> as you find one, and we'll. <laughs> the next episode <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah exactly i'll i'll send out the investment prospectus i i mean i think there are other industries like if you look at if you look at uh, someone like amazon you, you know they're they they are the manhattan project of of retail right like 
they they touch us a huge portion of mm-hmm. online transactions and it it's just really challenging and, and they could have right they could have gone a different direction like they could have uh they could have decided to license things and you know not not focus it on on unique competitive um advantage to themselves but they they didn't yeah yeah Jonah, I think we should do this more often. I think I could easily come up with like 10, 20 more topics we could kick around like this and and, and get your t- contrarian view on. Maybe eventually we'll find one where you're not contrarian. That would be boring though. Yeah. <laughs> What to do yeah, about that? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not contrarian on everything. I just, no, you're not yeah, that contrarian. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm being facetious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's uh, that makes this interesting, right? I I, I like people that had, that think through stuff and don't take everything at face value that they read and just cursory mm. glancing at the headlines. So I think this is this is good. So maybe we should do this format more often. Let's let's see what the what the audience thinks, how they react if they think this was total garbage. Okay, well if they think this was interesting, maybe we'll we'll do another few rounds and we should do this more often. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, in any case, thanks, Jonah, for joining us today. Um, good luck with the Transborion uh, and all the best with this with the little one. And uh, until next time. Thanks very much, Boris. Really appreciate it. All right. That was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Jonah McIntyre. I'm curious to know what you think. I really enjoyed this very open, freewheeling format. If you want more of this, let us know. You will find links to our LinkedIn profiles in the show notes. Don't hesitate to contact us. And don't forget to subscribe to the Logistics Tribe podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time.